When they play the game, they need to know, is it supposed to be like that or is it a bug? No, no, this is a bug. Oh, oh no, no, actually this is a feature. And sometimes a bug can become a feature. Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. Ever since season one, episode five, when Jorge Lucio said that there are 765 million active gamers in China, I've been wanting to cover this industry as part of the Mosaic of China. But I needed to find somebody who was not too junior, not too senior, someone who has been in China for a while but has also worked in other countries, and someone who knows the big corporate world as well as the smaller indie world. Well, it took me until season 3, episode 11, to find the right guy, and that's Simon. It's like the Goldilocks of gaming. Or since Simon is French, I should say Boucle d'Or. On the topic of language, just a few notes for non-native English speakers in this one. IP is intellectual property. QA is quality assurance. And UI is user interface. Simon speaks amazing English. Just one word which is not very clear towards the end of part one is hierarchy. All right, enough of this lag. Let's boot up the episode before we all rage quit. Simon, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Your name, how do I pronounce it? Simon Chapuis? Yeah, Chapuis. Chapuis. Mm. Simon Chapuis. Yeah. Okay. And why don't you explain where we are right now? We are in the city of Chengdu, in my wife's office, the Chinese branch of a French company importing wine from Bordeaux. Right. The reason I'm asking you that is because it actually explains the crazy situation that we're in. Things are always unpredictable when it comes to travel, when it comes to any kind of arrangement. And that's certainly affected our situation here today. I've come from the other side of China to be here. We have cases here in Chengdu. I can't go to your home because your home is near that area. Yes. You, because you're in that area, you can't come to my hotel. Yeah. So we have decided to meet in this office of your wife. Mm-hmm. Offices usually have very harsh walls where echoes can be very difficult for yeah. recording. <laughs> mm. But luckily we're in this very untidy room full of wine bottles and boxes. So I hope the sound will be okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe we'll hear traffic outside. So you're going to hear some sounds of Chengdu in this mm-hmm. recording. <laughs> yeah. Very authentic. Very authentic. With that in mind, let's start. So, Simon, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everyone first, which is, what object did you bring that in some way typifies your life here in China? It's a gamepad, a video game controller. I bought it in Chengdu, actually. I needed a gamepad because all of my gamepads actually were in France, and I needed to play games here. So I bought it, and now it's been part of my life in Chengdu since 2018. Very good. And it's a big hint about what we're going to talk about. Exactly. Because you're not just a gaming enthusiast, are mm-hmm. you? No, it's also my job. Right. I'm a game designer, so I make games. Okay. Well, let's put this console in the middle of the table, because actually I do recognize it. It looks exactly like the Nintendo console. Mm-mm-mm. And let me start with the most basic question. What is a game designer? The game designer is the guy or the girl who defines the rules of the video game. So 
how the character should move, jump, what should be the enemies and the different traps, the kind of actions you can do to defeat the enemies, basically how you play the game. Mm. And how does that process even start? You have a blank sheet of paper and someone says, design a game. <laughs> it, it could be like that. It depends on whether you work for publishers, whether you're an indie developer. So the first idea, if you're working in a big company, it could come from the, the game director who would say, okay, there is a big trend on the market. We are looking for this kind of game. Uh, could you make a pitch? Then it's up to the game designer to work on a pitch to propose an idea for a specific type of game. Sometimes we start like that and sometimes a company can already have a well-known IP and you are uh, supposed to design like the next installment of this uh, IP. So the basics are already here. It's up to the game designer to find the new features that will uh, make this game maybe better than the previous one or at least different enough. So it's not just like a 1.5 uh, version of the previous game. I see. Mm. So your skills are what? Are you someone who is skilled in computing? Are you someone who is skilled in creating worlds? Are you skilled in art? Like, what is your skill set? Uh, a little bit of everything, but game designer can come from uh, different fields. Some started as programmers, some of them started as artists, and uh, some of them started as something totally different. It, it could be anything. The common point is that we love to make games. And we want to say something with our games. Yeah, I studied art. I also studied programming a little bit. But most of the time, I don't really need these skills. Mostly, I, I use uh, Word and Excel. Word, Word and Excel. Excel? Yes. Oh, so actually, you're writing documentation. That's a lot. <laughs> oh, wow. And okay. we need to think about every situation. Sometimes you, it's hard to imagine that, oh, okay, if you do this and that, what will happen? Oh, I don't know. I didn't think about it. We need to try and see what will happen. Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not possible to design everything right from the start because it, it's, it's impossible to imagine everything. So you need to test and iterate a lot. In big companies, usually there are multiple game designers. So some of them are focused more on battle system, battle mechanics. Some of them are more focused on like driving vehicles. Some of them are focused on the story. You have lots of people working on specific aspects of the game. And you have like a game director, a lead game designer, who is making sure that everything makes sense and work together. So what are you? Uh, I'm currently a senior designer, so I can overlook everything on the, the project. But of course, I didn't start like that. Uh, when I started, I was working on level design. Level design is another branch of game designs. Usually, I'm mostly focused on uh, game mechanics. Okay. And you said before that it could be an indie company, it could be a big company. So what is your situation now? Now I'm working a big, big, big company. Uh, yeah, one of the biggest video game companies in the world, actually. Ubisoft. Yeah. Ubisoft. Mm. They have an office here in Chengdu. Yeah. I know Ubisoft. Yeah, it's a French company, correct? Yes. There you go. Well, now it's starting to make sense why a French guy is here in Chengdu. <laughs> Okay, so in a company like Ubisoft, mm -hmm. you're somebody who is writing the documentation. Who are you writing it for? Yes, so multiple people. Programmers, so they need to understand how the game works and the game logic and everything. So what is a programmer? A programmer is the guy who is uh, doing all the code, typing a lot of lines of text that I don't really understand. <laughs> right. So translating what you're writing in the document into what actually happens on the computer screen. Yes. Okay. 
you don't necessarily specify exactly how it looks. They have some kind of freedom to interpret yeah. your words. Yeah, this is true. Yes. Okay. I give the intention. I would like the game to behave that way. And then it's up to the programmer to be creative and find uh, the right way to create what I would like to have in the game. I see. Mm. So if you're writing a document for a programmer, what kind of details do you include? Uh, usually we have flowcharts. You have one action, then you have line linking the first action to the second action and everything. And uh, a lot of bullet points to be clear and concise. Yes, which I guess is even more important when you're working in an international environment where people are speaking different languages. Yeah, exactly. Just make it clear. Mm -mm -mm. But even if you are making it clear, I'm still guessing there is a lot of back and forth, back and forth. Always, always. We need to always work together. It's not like, oh, I write my documentation, uh, take it and do your stuff. And when you're done, send it to me and we'll see if that works. Uh, no, we, there is always communication and we need to ensure that everything is clear for everyone. So we are following the same path because making a video game uh, is expensive. It takes time. Deadlines are always very short. So we cannot afford to waste time and we have to be clear right from the start and communicate a lot. Yes, it's Got very it. important. That was for the programmers. What other teams do you collaborate with? Uh, the artists, of course. Uh, artists are very important because the art will be the first thing that players will see. Mm. Uh, if they like the art, they might be uh, interested in the game more than anything else. Again, they have a lot of freedom uh, to express the design through the art. I would say the challenge for the artists in the video game industry is not only to make something beautiful, it's also about making a game that can be easily understood by the players. So everything on the screen should convey very clearly its function. And this is always a challenge because sometimes you want to make something very, very beautiful, like beautiful animation, it's very smooth. But when you play with the gamepad and you try to move forward, for instance, the animation is so smooth that you feel like the character is not moving fast enough, it's not responsive, it doesn't work as it should. That's when you have to accept that, oh, the animation has too many frames. So we need to cut some frames oh. to, to make it more responsive. Like it's a balance between looking good and then the practicality of playing the game. Yes, yeah. Interesting. Okay, so we have the programmers, we have the artists. Yes. Who else? Uh, the QA, so the quality assurance, the guys who are testing the game a lot to find all the bugs. Ah. When they play the game, they need to know, oh, is it a bug or is it a feature? Is it supposed to be like that? Or is <laughs> because sometimes you could wonder, oh, it looks like a bug, but I'm not sure. Maybe that's what the designer wanted to. No, no, this is a bug. Oh, oh no, no, actually, this is a feature. And sometimes <laughs> a bug can become a feature. Can ah, happen. right. Yeah. That's one of those happy accidents. Yes. But yeah, we work usually very closely with the QA because although the designers must test the game a lot, we don't always have the time to track the bugs. It's not our job. Interesting. But it sounds like your job, it kind of covers all of those things to some extent. There's a little overlap with all of these different yes. teams. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why, um, although I'm, I'm not a good artist and I'm not a programmer at all, at least because I, I studied that, I'm aware of the difficulties and the problems in these fields, so I can also anticipate uh, some issues and I can understand the rest of the team more uh, right. clearly. Okay, why don't we use this as a chance to actually talk about your background? How long have you been a game designer for? I started 2007. So what's that now? It's about 15 years. Yeah, 15 years. Mm. I started in, in France, in a small company in uh, Strasbourg. 
At that time, we were making games for the old school mobile phones with the keyboard and everything. Right, like the snake game on the Nokia. Yeah, it was a little bit more advanced than that, <laughs> but that's the same idea, yes. So we, I'm aging myself right there. <laughs> and that was uh, very, very interesting because you have to make games for a device that is not meant to be for video games. For a creative person, that would be very interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, after that, at that time, there was the Nintendo DS and the Nintendo Wii. We made some casual games for this console. Then I moved to Germany. Although I was working in Germany, I was uh, living in Strasbourg. So I was just crossing the border every day. Mm. It was an international company with people from all around the world. Here we made games for console and PC. Then I moved to Barcelona. Oh, right. Yes, I actually I worked at King the company behind Candy Crush. Although in Barcelona, we were developing other games, what we call match-free games. You match candies or tiles or yes. together to eliminate them. There's so many versions of that, right? Exactly. And uh, that was a very good experience. I worked with people from all around the world. I think I became uh, addicted to that. I love working with people from uh, different uh, countries, different cultures. And uh, one day I had the opportunity to move to China. It's something I wanted like, a long, long time ago. Ah, because some people, they end up in China. Other people, they try to engineer their life to China. So yes. you, you really wanted to be here. Exactly, yes. Why was that? Uh, I have to admit that I, I'm in love with Wang Fei, so this uh, famous uh, <laughs> pop singer. Uh, I, I really love her music. Does your wife know about this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was very in love with the Chinese culture, so I, I really wanted to, to come here. And finally, I'm here. You applied for a job or someone came to you? I was very lucky because a colleague of mine used to work in a Chinese company. And he told me, oh, there is this company I know, I work for them. Maybe I could uh, give you uh, their contact. That's how I managed to get hired by the company and I came here to Chengdu. Right. You're making it sound like it's a global marketplace for people like you. Is that true? Yeah, well, I think it's something that I realized quite early in my career. Because the industry is, is very tough. You need to be open for uh, traveling a lot. Really? <laughs> yes, because there are companies uh, all around the world. Competition is fierce and you need to be open and uh, travel. Well, you say it's tough. So what do you mean? Like, why is it so tough? It's, it's, it's very hard to make games. Lots of new people joining, they live their dream and they are super happy. But because it's so tough, people are burned out and they have to leave the industry because mm. it's really hard. So maybe after two years, they will say, I love making games, but I'm done with the industry. And that's how it is. Um, so I guess someone with 15 years experience is actually quite rare. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, because we very often have very short uh, deadlines and you need to test the game a lot. And sometimes you get some feedback from the players that they didn't understand the game. So we need to rework the whole feature. So yeah, it's... It's very hard. Yeah. I'm guessing that a lot of it comes down to this X factor, right? Because how do you know what is a good game? Can you articulate what makes a good game? Uh, magic, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really hard. Sometimes you think you're making a good game, but when you have the final product, it's actually, it's not that fun. Uh, at, at which point in the process do you find that out? Like only at the end? If it's a big project at the very end, because... Uh, a big project is made of different parts and you yeah. need to wait for all these parts to be together to have an idea of whether the game works or not. Mm. Uh, on a smaller project, much earlier, because the scope is much smaller, 
So I'm guessing these big projects, they're the ones that have extra budget. It's important. It's in the spotlight. And yet, these are the ones that can go wrong the most. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 that's true. In the video game history, there are several uh, stories about big games, what we say AAA games, that failed because although the budget was big and the deadline was okay, the game wasn't interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's... I'm guessing what keeps you interested in doing it for all these years because you've been doing it for 15 years and mm. even you don't have the answer, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I really don't know. A game can uh, hook you for several years, maybe sometimes, and you don't really know why, just you enjoy the game. I mean, do you still enjoy playing games or are you at this point just sick of it? <laughs> no, I still love playing games, but now I have some kind of curse. Although I try to step back when I play games for my own uh, entertainment, <laughs> the, the game designer is always here yes. telling me, oh, they designed this like this and this like that. What do you think about this? Maybe they should have done it like yes. this or like that. So it's really hard to forget my job now, but I still enjoy video games, yes. Okay. I mean, I guess for you, making the game is the game. Yeah, actually, this is true. <laughs> uh, you have to make choices, and a choice may be rewarded. Uh, sometimes you make the wrong choice, and it's like you're, you're losing a life in a game. So, yeah, and if you want to be a game designer, you need to love making games. It's very, very important, because you're not just making games for yourself. You're making games for everyone, and because you love making games, you want to share your game with everyone, so everyone can enjoy it. Well, you're talking about everyone. So who are these people, the gamers? Like, basically, they your customers, your mm -hmm. consumers. What are they like? Because in my mind, I think gamers can be very passionate. Mm -hmm. I would say they can go over the top when they're happy and they can go over the top when they're angry. <laughs> Is that your experience about your interface with your customers? Um, well, I was lucky enough, I think, to have players and uh, gamers They love the games and they love talking about games and share their opinions and thoughts about the game, but in a very open-minded way. Mm. So it's always about exchanging ideas and try to think of how we could improve games or imagine new ways to make games and enjoy games. So that's something I, I, I like a lot, to talk about games. Are they easy to please or are they quite hard to please? Because I'm guessing they're quite savvy, you know? They can tell a good game from a bad game pretty easily. Yes, but <laughs> what's super, super fun actually when you make games is that players don't really know what they want. <laughs> oh, right. For instance, you have a game that is successful, okay, and you want to make a number two, okay? So uh, what should we do for the next episode? So players, they will say, oh, it has to be brand new because I don't want to buy the same game every year. <laughs> But at the same time, when you look at a series like Call of Duty, it's kind of the same every year. So <laughs> they like to have the same thing because they enjoy it. They want something new. But if you propose something that is really, really new and different, they will say, oh, no, it's not. It's not. I prefer the, the old one. It, it was better. <laughs> yeah, so they never win. really know what they want. Yeah, that's interesting. That must be frustrating for you as the designer, because if it is the fact that they want something which is similar, but just a little tweak, mm -hmm. then it's not so fun for you, right? You're just doing little changes here and there. Yeah, when you're on the creative side, sometimes you would love to go wild and be like super creative. And the thing is, we work in an industry. You cannot do just whatever you want. You cannot go wild. You have to be realistic. That's how it works. And you need every month to get your salary, to pay your rent, to buy your food. <laughs> Making money shouldn't be a, a taboo. It's business. It's part mm. of the industry. 
But it's true that from a creative standpoint, we would like to have all of these crazy ideas. Oh, it would be great to do this and that. Oh, I would love to do this. But maybe it's not what the player wants. So you yeah. have to find the right balance between what you think is innovative and creative enough and will bring some value to the game and what the market actually wants. Yes, and I can imagine you as a designer, you can sometimes get very, very focused to the extent that you kind of forget about the customer and you kind of need people around you to keep pushing you in the right direction sometimes. Yes, yeah. You don't realize that you're going too far. Maybe here it's too complex. That's very important to always work in a team and to get as much feedback as possible. Do game companies specialize in particular games? And if so, what is Ubisoft famous for? Yeah, so Ubisoft is very famous for open world games. Uh, so there is Assassin's Creed, there is Watch Dogs, there is Far Cry. Uh, so these are all big budget games? Yes, yeah, big, big budget. They publish a lot of other games, casual games like Monopoly, Uno. Got it. So what are you working on right now? I'm currently working on Uno, actually. Oh, Uno? Yeah. I wonder if people in China know that game. Uh, I think Uno is not that popular in China. Right. Uh, although you can find games that look like Uno. Oh, I see. But they are not Uno. <laughs> uh, Uno is very, very popular in the US. Yeah, so... I mean, I know this game. I used to play Uno when I was a child. This is a simple game, right? It's a very simple game, yes. So as a designer, what can you do <laughs> with this simple game? This is actually quite a challenge, right? Exactly. That's always the biggest challenge for me because people play this game for its simplicity. Uno relies a lot on uh, randomness. So I want to bring more depth and more control to the players so they can build strategies and just make the game a little bit more interesting. Mm. And it's very hard because the moment you start adding complexity to the game, then you have to be careful because maybe it's no longer Uno. Yes. Maybe it's a different game. Yeah. And we need to make a game that is still Uno, but at the same time, we want to bring new stuff. And you mentioned that it's not well known in China. So why are you doing Uno in China? That's a good question. Because this is a game that's global, or maybe mm. your key market will be the US, for example. Yeah. But and yet here we are in Chengdu, making it. But that's the beautiful thing about video games. You can make a game for a market in a totally different country. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, international. So do you know why your company is here in Chengdu, of all places, and not elsewhere in China? They have an office in Shanghai. Uh, I think they opened the office in Chengdu 14 years ago, something like that. My guess would be that uh, in Chengdu, there are other uh, video game companies here. Uh, I guess they have a pool of designers, artists, programmers, people who have experience in uh, video games. Right. Yes, because you first came to Chengdu with a Chinese company. Yes, exactly. Maybe that's a good question to ask you then. If you think about the differences, what was your experience like with the Chinese gaming company? The main difference, I would say, is the hierarchy was very important. There is the boss. And then you have managers, then you have different layers of employees. So it's very like a pyramidal type of uh, hierarchy. Whereas at Ubisoft, I think it's much more uh, flat. Mm. Yeah. The way you work uh, with people, the way you communicate with people is very different. I cannot say one is better than the other. I can say positive things in both and negative things in both. When it's flat, it's easier to communicate and to convey the information to everyone. When it's pyramidal, uh, you have a strong direction to the company and we stick to that. Uh, it doesn't mean that other companies don't have a strong vision, but the way you work is just different. Yeah, I guess it means that there's not pushing ideas back and forth. So yeah. It's mm -hmm. more efficient in some way. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is there one game in your career that you're most proud of? 
It's the game I worked on when I was in Germany. It's a game that is called uh, Jenna Sisters uh, Twisted Dreams. So the first Jenna Sisters was made for the Commodore 64. Oh, so yes. This old computer. <laughs> yes. Um, so we made a new episode in this series. We managed to create something quite original. And there was an issue with deadline and budget. So we had to do a Kickstarter. So Kickstarter is this website people can give money to companies or indie developers uh, to help them to fund their projects. So it can be video games, music, comic books. When you do a Kickstarter, you make a promise to the player. You tell them, okay, we need this amount of money. We want to release the game on this date. And people trust you. And they're part of the project themselves from day yes. one, right? Yes. So you want to make a good game and you also want to keep your promise. And I'm proud of this game because we made a good game. It got good reviews. We released on time. We released within the budget. <laughs> it's not perfect, but still people enjoyed it. And they enjoyed it so much that this event in the US called uh, the Games Done Quick, you have players who play the games as fast as possible. I was very happy to see one day that uh, Jenna Sisters was actually part of this event. So oh. someone took the time to practice the game, to beat it as fast as possible. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. That's my game. Nice. Yeah. Let's finish this part of the conversation by talking about China. What is the future going to be here in China? Um, we will see more and more uh, free-to-play games. This is the norm now. But at the same time, we have companies now who want to create their own AAA games. So they are no longer focused on the business aspect, but they are now focused on the creative aspect. They want to shine. Simon, thank you so much for that. Thank you very much. You've taught me a lot. <laughs> I think sometimes you've been looking at me like, oh my God, this guy does not know anything. No, you are no. correct. <laughs> Well, let's move on to part two. Mm -hmm. All right, the 10 questions, Simon. Mm -hmm. I am ready. Okay. Question one, which comes from Shanghai Daily, even though we are here in Chengdu. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite China-related fact? I realized that many Chinese leaders, scientists, novelists, they studied in France. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Like who? Dong Xiaoping, of course, right. very well known. Zhou Enlai. Zhou Enlai, oh, right. mm -hmm. Even with those two examples, yeah. yeah, I'm already impressed. And there's many more, I guess. Yes, yeah. All right, I'll have to do my research. Next question, which comes from Rosetta Stone. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? It's because now I have a kid, so it's, it's actually a song for kids that I, I really love. Nice. I think it's from a cartoon originally. It's Dato, Dato, Xia Yu, Bucho. <laughs> so it's a cartoon. In this cartoon, there is a kid with a big head, which is Dato. Dato. Oh. And uh, yeah, it's saying that it's raining outside. It's fine because the, the family has an umbrella, but he has a big head. So it's, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Your kid speaks French and Chinese? Yes. Okay. Next question, which comes from Naked Retreats. What's your favorite destination within China? And that's an easy one for me. It's Dalian because my wife is from Dalian. Oh man, and I actually was supposed to be in Dalian this week, but mm -hmm. I had to cancel my trip. So I'm very jealous of you. Tell yeah. me about Dalian. It's a beautiful city next to the sea. Uh, the sky is always blue. There is the sun. It's hot in the summer. It's cold and there is snow in the winter. So you have everything in Dalian. It's just a beautiful city. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good things about Dalian, and it has an interesting history as well, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. And uh, in Dalian, there are several museums, so you can uh, learn about the history of the whole city. 
The modern city of Dalian was actually built by the Russians, then it was invaded by the Japanese, and then it was took back by the Chinese. Right. Fascinating stuff. Wish me luck. I hope that I will see yes. it for the first time. Next question. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? Uh, what I will miss the most is actually all the friends I made here because I, I made a lot of friends. And the least? Just renewing the work permit every year uh, is, is a challenge. <laughs> yes. Visas. Yes. Next. Is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? Uh, how much everything relies on smartphones. If you don't have a smartphone, I don't know how you can do anything uh, here. This is what keeps me up, because if I lost the phone, what the hell happens? I mean, I lose things. I'm an idiot. Luckily, I've never lost the phone. But what would happen if you do? It must happen, right? Yeah, yeah. The first thing I do every time I leave my home, do I have my phone? <laughs> it's raining outside. Do I have my umbrella? No, it doesn't matter. Do I have my phone? Do I have my phone? <laughs> you cannot do anything without a phone. I've been here for so long, I don't quite remember how it was in Europe beforehand. I'm sure people are also addicted to their phones in France, no? Yeah, but I think if you want to go to the groceries and you, you want to buy something, I think in France we are still using the bank card. Paying with a phone, we might do it, but I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. Next question, which comes from Smart Shanghai. Uh, it should be Smart Chengdu, but where is your favorite place to go out, to eat or drink or hang out? Here in Chengdu, I would say Blue Frog. Oh, that exists here? Yes. There are at least two Blue Frogs here okay. uh, in Chengdu. And uh, if I want to eat a good burger and have a beer, usually it's the best place to go. Nice. So do you actually eat Sichuan food? Uh, yes, it's very good. Next question. What's your best or worst purchase you've made in China? Apart from this object that I'm looking at right now, <laughs> yes. your console. Apart from the, the gamepad, I would say uh, books, lots of books. I bought also some uh, traditional Chinese comic books. And you have a big picture and uh, like two or three lines of text just below. Nice. Mm -mm. And it's not too many words. When I see a whole bunch of words on a page, it's very intimidating. Yes. Mm -hmm. But if it's just a few sentences, that's... Yeah. And you, that's... you have the context and it's easier to understand. Yeah. Okay. You've kind of inspired me with that. Maybe I'm going to ask you for a few titles. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. What's your favorite WeChat sticker? Ah, uh, yeah, it's a series called, I think, uh, Poo Poo Mao. So it's a big yellow cat oh. <laughs> with a white, a smaller uh, cat. Yes, I've and seen these guys. Yes, and they're like, are you there? If I want to send a message to my wife, I just send her, are you there? Just with the cat. I like the animation. I think it's very funny. <laughs> well... As a game designer, I probably should, in that case, pay respect because you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. What is your go-to song to sing at KTV? <sighs> Maybe the only French song that you can find in China. <laughs> oh, wait, let me guess which one it is. Is it Saplin pour moi? No. Is it no. Uh, La Vie en Rose? No. Wait, what's a famous French song? What is it? It's, it's a song, I don't even know why it's so popular here. It's Hélène. Hélène? Yeah, so Hélène was the song for a French TV series. The series wasn't very good, but this song, you can find it in all KTV. Really? Yes. What kind of song is it? Romantic. Uh, she's saying that uh, my name is Hélène and uh, I'm just a girl <laughs> like the others. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows this song. Even younger generations here, they, they know the song. Really? I don't know why. Okay. And I'm sure nowadays in France nobody remembers this song. Okay, I'll look it up. Thank you. Yeah. 
And finally, and this comes from JustPod, which is the studio that I use in Shanghai. What or who is your biggest source of inspiration in China? I follow on WeChat a publication called Six Stone. Oh yes, I really like the articles. It's usually it's very in depth. You can see that they make a very good job at searching for the information and explaining everything in details. And they talk about all topics possible.、It、can be、uh, social issues. It can be about science. It can be about so many different things. And I, I like the way they make you think in a different way or realize that、oh, okay, it's not just A and B, but maybe there is also C and D. I agree. Yeah, it's quite rare to find writing about China from a Chinese organization that is nuanced. Yes, exactly. And I think Sixth Tone do a really good job. So I agree, and it's come up a lot in previous podcasts as well.、Mm. So it's nice to have a chance to give a shout out to Sixth Tone again. Yes. Simon, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's also great to have a chance to see you in situ here in Chengdu. Yes. Uh, I hope that I have another excuse to come here, especially to try out Blue Frog with you. <laughs> the final question I would ask you is: Out of everyone you know in China, who would you recommend that I interview in the next season of Mosaic of China? A lady called Adele Niri, who is the Consul General for Australia in Chengdu. Oh,、uh, she will have、uh, many stories to share. Great, that's perfect. We had a diplomat in season one. And we haven't had one since then, so I'm looking forward to meeting Adele next year.、Mm-hmm. And if you had one question that you would ask Adele, what question would it be?、Uh, <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here. Are there any similarities between your hometown in、uh, Australia and Chengdu? Perfect, Simon. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Most video games out there have something called DLC, downloadable content, which game designers create to offer users some extra goodies. And as regular listeners will know, Mosaic of China has its own DLC in the form of the premium version of the show, where there's 10 to 15 minutes of extra content per episode. Head to the Mosaic of China website to follow the instructions on how to subscribe. And while you're doing that, here are clips from today's full-length conversation. They try to hook you with mechanics that force you to come back every day to collect your free reward. Wait, so since you've been here, you've never left China? No. Oh. <laughs> the rules are different. The art is different.、Uh, we have new music to give to the player the new experience. Right. I will encourage them not to buy the power-ups. <laughs> yes. It's not just translation. It's relocalization. Oh, that feels good. That's very fun. I want to do it again. I want to move to the next level.、Mm. The publisher will make sure that、uh, there is a good marketing to promote the game and to make the game available. Here, there is a great emphasis on monetization. That's、uh, what it is. Yes, come here and spend money. So your hometown is Dijon. Yes. All I know is mustard. Yeah. <laughs> As always, there are images that accompany the show on social media. So do a search for Mosaic of China or Oscology, and you'll find them there on most platforms, both in China and worldwide. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. Like I said at the beginning of today's show, it has been great to include a game designer in Mosaic of China, to sit alongside the previous episodes we've had with the likes of fashion designers, architectural designers, handicraft designers, and so on. 
so it's only fitting that today's catch-up with a previous guest of the show is with the car designer AJ Jane from Season 2, Episode 21. Stick around for that after the music, and I'll see you again next time. Hello. Hi. AJ, let me first apologise because I don't quite know what I was thinking when I recorded the intro and outro to your original episode because I decided to pronounce your surname in the most odd way and I don't know what kind of weird vomit came out of my mouth. Your name is AJ Jane. I somehow said AJ Jane or I don't know what came out. (laughs) Inexcusable for somebody who claims to be a linguist. (laughs) But secondly, of course, people will already have realized that we are catching up over Zoom. So where do I find you today? And tell me the story of what happened between our original interview up till today. It's probably the longest 18 months of my life. (laughs) After speaking to you, I've got a job to move back to India, to Mumbai. We uh, we arrived, I I started work... um, We got the kids to school. We got an apartment lease. Our container arrived. I moved my father to come and move in with us. The internet was on. Paintings were hung on the walls. Everything was working at home. And the country went into lockdown. Mm. It was really, really lucky um, for us. Then coming into a new job, you know, in a new country, in a new environment, it's quite quite a challenge. Well, let me interrupt um, you because... Some people might not have heard your original episode. And for those who didn't, you are a master car designer. (laughs) You have spent how many years altogether doing car design in China? Uh, 10 years in China, about 11 years in Europe. Yeah. And never in India. Exactly. So what actually was the new job in India? I moved to India to work at a company called Mahindra & Mahindra to head up their advanced design division. Then... After uh, nine months at Mahindra, I decided to change my job and move to another Indian company called uh, Tata Motors, um, uh, which was really really, uh, out of the blue. So in the last 14 months, I have an overview of not just one Indian company, but two Indian companies. Both are very much focused on the local Indian market, and they are Indian-run, Indian-owned, Indian-managed companies. My Indian experience is still quite fresh, but the fun challenge of um, being able to influence the way things are done, that I found was fairly similar to China. So, you know, you do feel empowered and have an, an, a level of influence in, in making your mark and, and, uh, and changing the course and the direction of things. However, the speed of things, nobody can compete with China. Mm. The, the pace, the sheer ambition of number of projects, number of things that you do in a day is just phenomenal in China. And then you come to realize it uh, when you step out of that environment. Mm. Well, it's been a whirlwind 18 months. So the next obvious question would be, what does the following 18 months look like? Well, uh, interesting you say that. Uh, we are in the middle of another move. Um, you know, <laughs> we've decided to move to a town called Pune, where Tata Motors uh, is uh, based. Another change, another bit of a transition. But I hope the next eighteen months aren't going to be that volatile as, as the as the previous eighteen months. Oh, very good. 
your family, they basically grew up in China, right? I mean, it must be a foreign country, really, for, for them to now live in India. Yes, it is. It is. And uh, my two daughters are born in Shanghai. They definitely seem to want to return to China someday, if not for their education or, or work. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's a whole new life and a whole new transition for us. Yeah. Well, it was great to have you as part of this project. I did not realize that it would be this sort of swan song of your 10 years in China. So I'm really glad that I could catch you before you ended up leaving And the person who you referred for next season, unfortunately, couldn't be part of the season, but I did find a nice replacement. So I will be adding this update chat at the end of that episode. And that's it. You're stuck in the mosaic forever. I hope that this will be an excuse for us to keep in touch. Um, and good luck with your move to Pune. Thank you, Oscar. And it's been great, uh, this summary of my life in China. Big thanks to you that I can share with people. I hope you will be visiting India and the mosaic will grow out of India, perhaps, um, and becomes a cross-continental phenomenon. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm tired already just <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs>